So this week we start our new, our new four-part series that we're calling The Gospel Makes the Church. Here at Calvary we try to make a big deal of the gospel, the truth that our hope rests in. Through our music and our sermon we take a weekly trip to the cross, acknowledging our need of God and praising him for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us in our place. And so we hope that the gospel is clear for the individual, but what doesn't that doesn't mean that it's always clear for the group, for the body, for the, for the church. And so we're going to take a few weeks here as we begin our, our ministries anew during this fall season to take a look, not just at how the gospel speaks to our heart issues, but how the gospel calls the church as a body of believers to mission. Today we start with how the gospel makes the church unique. The text we'll be looking at is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. If you have your Bibles with you today and you'd like to follow along, you'll find that book. It's in the New Testament. It's not much past the Gospels. You'll hit John, Acts, Romans, and then we're in 1 Corinthians. Paul has a lot to teach, not just the church in Corinth, but the church today in this fantastic letter. Again, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to read along. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you if you'd like to use those, but the words will also be on the screen. We read the word of the Lord this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast in him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. Pray this in your name. Amen. So as I'm sure many of us are aware, today is opening day for football. Those that know that are probably looking at their clocks right now going, bro, game starts in like not so long, like the service is going a bit here, what are we, what, what are we doing? It's been a long seven months for us football fans, but we, we finally get to see our teams take the field. Now, I know the Bills and the Rams played on Thursday night, and, and I know that, you know, you, I won't get to watch my Seahawks get whooped 
uh, by our ex until tomorrow night. But today is the first day of the 2022 football season, and it's going to be fun to see the products of the seven months offseason take shape on the field. A lot of hopes, dreams, and expectations are on the line. Some, some teams are rebuilding, and they just don't want to be horrible, right? They know they aren't quite there yet, and they're working towards being on the right path, like, like the Giants. And then you've got teams like the Chiefs and the Chargers and the Rams and the Bills and the Bucks who are, I mean, they're ready to go now. If they don't win it all this year, then it'll be a disappointment. General managers have had seven months to put together the team that they are about to display for their fans. What that team will look like, we don't know. Like, will it, will it meet expectations? The first step was free agency, which opened at the beginning of March, where players had, that had expiring contracts and couldn't reach an agreement on an extension with their current team enter into a bidding war. Now, each franchise has to stay underneath a, a certain limit of spent dollars, a salary cap, so you can't just give players the world, but everyone has the opportunity to spend big on that crucial piece that might put you over the edge, the talent that you didn't have this past year. Then, after the free agency frenzy has died down, it's the draft, right? Teams choose, in an orderly fashion, college students who have graduated or opted to leave early to be on their rosters. The order is determined by last year's record, so the worst team gets to pick first, so that they have the best chance to grab the best talent, though the draft picks can be traded around, so no one really knows how it'll all pan out. But there's an excitement around the draft, right? Your team is being infused with new and young talent. Then things go pretty quiet until the end of July when training camp kicks off. Now, now here's the thing. Starting in March, teams can have 90 players on their roster. So at the start of training camp in July, there are 90 players on each team. But you know how many players on each team when the season starts? It's 53. So August is a crazy time for the NFL. You, you have these 90 players that are on your team, and they're all competing for a spot, and, and then the cut-down days come, and suddenly the roster has to be at 85. So five players are cut. And, and then the next week, another five players need to go. And as the rosters go down, like they go down to 80. And then it's the big one, from 80 to 53. And, and it's rough, man, because you might make that initial 53 for your team, but then a different team cuts someone that your team likes better than you, and you end up being waived. And so through this process, the NFL, NFL teams craft are crafted, finding the most athletic players, the ones that, that fit the scheme and have the skill sets and abilities that work with the way that your program wants to play football. It's the best of the best, the, the strongest, the fastest, the toughest, the smartest, the ones that work the hardest. This is how we build our football teams. We expect nothing less, and the fans let the teams, the coaches, the general managers and ownership hear about it, when the results are disappointing. This is how we build our football teams. But let me ask you, is this how God has built his church? The Christian church is fascinating, and, and really the church is broken down into two sections. There's the, the capital C church, the, the big C church, also known as the invisible church. It contains the body of all believers, everyone who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who rests in him for their hope, everyone who believes in the fundamentals of, of Christianity, confesses the truth of the, of the three creeds. This is the, the capital C, the big C church in the Apostles' Creed. We say, I believe in the holy Christian church. This is the church that we're talking about. 
Not Calvary, not, not the church up the hill or the church across town, but, but the church, all who believe all over the world. But then that group is divided into smaller groups, and we call them church too, don't we? And the small C church is where things get a little rough. We have differences in doctrine. We hold to the core foundational truths of the gospel, most of us, but, but we also disagree over things like baptism and, and the Lord's Supper and eternal security and a host of other items that are still important, but not as important as Christ crucified. And, and man, the small C church is a broken, messed up place, isn't it? It feels like monthly there are reports of the moral failings of popular, maybe even celebrity pastors. And that's just the ones that we hear about. We know what's taking place with our regular, everyday pastors, too. Each of us have been hurt in churches by people that claim to love us. Some of our small-c churches have gotten so involved in politics, left and right, that the gospel or the message of the gospel has been all but, but drowned out. Some of our small-c churches don't preach the gospel at all, but prefer a message of health and wealth because that fills the pews, though it does nothing but poison the soul. Some of our small C churches get so distraught over doctrinal differences that we can't even work with those who disagree with us and, and feel the need to curb or attack each other so that right doctrine may prevail. And listen, right doctrine is important. We're going to be doing a series on that pretty soon here. It's, it's incredibly con important. And, and confronting sin and calling people to repentance is biblical. It's, it's important. We, we need to be doing it out of love for the sinner and not because of our disdain for the sin. But, but that's hard. And the call to repentance is biblical. And a call that each of us needs to hear at some point, not just in our lives, but in our, in our days. We're, we're all sinners. And we all need to repent and receive the forgiveness of the Almighty God who gives it to us so generously. And, and yeah, it's important to call out those who masquerade as, as Christians but don't actually touch the gospel. It's important to call out the prosperity gospel crowd just as it's important to call out those who've decided that Scripture is fluid and, and should be interpreted through the lens of society, that it's not the Word of God, but more a guideline to follow. It's important to stand for the truths of Scripture. It's important to call each other to repentance. It's important to curb the waywardness of the small C church. But that's not the primary purpose of the church. God didn't establish the church. He didn't encourage the body to gather so that we would fight, curb, and big brother and big sister each other. Well, the primary purpose of the church is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The primary purpose of the church is mission. It's the building up of the body together, the fellowship of the body, and it's mission God calls believers to gather. He established the church for the betterment, the encouragement of the believer and for his mission. That's, that's why we're here. That's why we gather on Sundays and during the week. It's to grow in our personal walk with the Lord and to be sent out, encouraged in the mission that God has called us to join him in. He's built a team. And he didn't do it over the, the short course of an NFL offseason. He's been doing it for years, for generations which is pretty awesome. God is building a team that he has called to join him in his mission to be used by God in building his kingdom. He's been intentional and he's been incredibly methodical. That's who our God is. He's, he's sovereign. He's in control of all. He doesn't make mistakes. Now as we rest in that, 
as we recognize that that is what God is doing here, let's look around the sanctuary this morning. Let's look at your neighbor, those in the pews behind you, those in the pews in front of you. If you are in God's place, if you are the GM of the church, the one putting together the team that he is calling to join him in his mission, a mission of eternal significance, this isn't just a one-year, win the Super Bowl and do it again the next year kind of thing. This mission has eternal ramifications. This is the most important mission the world has ever and will ever know. As you look around the church this morning, let me ask you this question. Is this the team that you would put together? Are these the people that you would choose? Would your fellow parishioners be on the team? Would you even be on it? Would I even be on it? What is God thinking? We expect the teams that we root for to be put together with the best, most talented people for the job. And so in our minds, to, to our thinking, God should be doing the same thing, right? He should be recruiting the most eloquent, extroverted, kind, wonderful, giving people for his church. The people that others are just drawn to. The people that have patience that stretches for days. The people that have a lot of money and time to give and that are willingly and willing to give it. The people that never look tired. The people that radiate energy with enthusiasm and never feel overwhelmed and always feel qualified. The kind of people that like you like from a distance but you don't want to go camping with. You know what I mean? Like They're just too happy all the time. That kind of positive energy is it's just exhausting. Right? Like I, I went to Hillcrest Academy, a Christian boarding school associated with, with our denomination for my junior and senior years of high school. And one of my friends was a total morning person. And I'd be sitting in the cafeteria grumbling over my bowl of Cheerios, wishing that I was back in bed. And, and Joanna would walk in and when, whether she sat next to me or, or she was just passing by, she would say, good morning, Daniel in her sing-song, overly happy voice, and in my sinfulness, I just wanted to punch her in the face. And she knew it. Like, she knew what she was doing. Because I'd be like, Joanna, that drives me nuts. And she'd just, yeah, I know it does. I, oh. She's great, right? Like, she's fantastic. And she went on to be a missionary. Like, exactly the kind of person that I would expect God to use in his mission. And I'm not that person. I'm not that person, are you? Is our small C church filled with people that meet the expectations that we have for those that God should be calling into this incredibly important mission? Do we think the big C church is filled with people that meet our expectations? No. No, the reality is that none of us are qualified to be used for God's mission. Not even my super cheerful mission-minded friend Joanna. For though we may train our hardest, we may follow God's laws and directions to the best of our ability, we may try to keep a good attitude, we strive to be a good neighbor, we make every effort to be all that God has called us to be, the reality is that each and every one of us is a dirty, rotten sinner. Each and every one of us has sin that should get us cut from the team. But God knows this. Our failings do not surprise him. Our sins, though hurtful to God, do not stop our God from loving us. And so that we might be reconciled to God, that we might have the relationship with God that he wants to have with us, God sent Jesus 
And Jesus came and he lived with us and he suffered alongside us. He left a place of perfection to experience hunger and thirst, to know the misery of an excruciatingly hot day and the distress of a cold night. But Jesus didn't stop at just walking beside us in the physical trials of our lives. He came as the answer to our spiritual failures. For he was betrayed and abandoned. He was convicted at a rigged trial and sent to die a criminal's death. And so Jesus carried the instrument of his death, a large wooden cross, up the hill to Golgotha. But it was not just the cross he carried on his shoulders. For Christ bore the sins of the world. Every sin that you and that I and that the world has ever known was taken upon Jesus on the cross. And the Bible tells us that as the nails were driven through his hands and his feet, and as he hung there naked and alone, abused, mocked, and shamed, the Bible tells us that there on the cross, Christ became sin for us. He became sin for us. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and there Christ paid the price for our sin with his death. The death of the perfect one for the sake of, on behalf of, the guilty. But he did not stay dead. For three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we recognize our sinfulness and confess that we need him, that we need Jesus, then the Bible tells us that the dirty rags of our sinfulness are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees Christ's righteousness. This is what it means to be a believer. This is what it means to be part of the big C church. And God calls each and every believer into his mission. It doesn't matter if we feel qualified or not. That choice isn't up to us. I love the way that Paul puts it in our verses this morning, verses 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God isn't putting the team together that you or I or an NFL general manager would put together. He's not worried about our skill sets, our energy levels. They don't concern him. He chooses the lowly things of this world, the despised things. He doesn't zero in on the influential. He doesn't narrow it down to those born into importance. He's not concerned with what the world thinks is the right way to go about building a team. For he frustrates the wisdom of the world and is pleased by what we would consider foolish. The church is a place for all. God's mission has a place, a role, a call to all, to everyone. And that makes the church a little different, right? The gospel makes the church unique. Everyone has a place in God's family. God is the author of creation. He created us each differently with with different cultures, different accents, different skin tones. And yet all of us are created in his image intentionally and beautifully. Beautifully. 
And God has given us different skill sets, different passions, different strengths, different weaknesses, different levels of busyness, different jobs, different places financially. He's given us different burdens. He's walked us through different trials and hardships. God is walking beside you and molding you and calling you into deeper relationship with himself. And in everything, God is preparing you and calling you, us, as a small C church and as individuals of the big C church into mission. doesn't matter if you don't feel up to the task. God doesn't really care if you just don't feel like it. He's not swayed by your poor resume. And he's not dissuaded by your bad attitude. We may not feel like we are equipped to be part of his mission, but how we feel about it doesn't move the needle for our Heavenly Father. God doesn't call who we would expect. He calls us. And church, his mission is too important. The souls of your neighbors are too important. Eternity is too incredibly important for God to care about getting hung up on our complaints. He doesn't have time for that. He sent Jesus to cover for all of that. Christ's church is uniquely filled with people that are unqualified for his mission. And that's totally awesome. Because Christ is our qualification. For we boast not in ourselves, but in the Lord. When God uses you to bring someone into the family of God to receive faith, know that it is God who gets the credit, God who gets the glory. He is the one who has done the work. And how amazing is it that he calls us to be a part of this, to play a role in such an important and wonderful mission. I'm consistently amazed at how God can, does, and willingly chooses, intentionally chooses to use broken, sinful, imperfect, and unqualified people as his church and in his mission. This is the team he's put together, and that blows my mind. But I am so incredibly thankful that this is how he chooses to work and to move. God has built a unique team of unqualified sinners. On our own, we would have no chance of victory. And this would look like the worst team ever assembled for such a glorious purpose. And I am continually astounded by the grace, mercy, and yes, the humor of our God. Church, we may look around our sanctuary this morning, and, or may we look around our sanctuary this morning, and be thankful for those that God has called to his mission. Those that he has built his church out of. And may we be amazed and rejoice as we watch him carry out this mission through us. What a fantastic, awesome, gracious, and amazing God we serve. Amen.